So we are in a series called The God Who Is There. And in this series, we are looking at different aspects of God and his character and his actions. And tonight's title is The God Who Justifies the Guilty. The God Who Justifies the Guilty. And we're going to talk about how um, God is a God who uh, makes right, makes just, um, even those who are guilty. So, um, so I'm kind of an outdoor adventure kind of guy. I like to get out and ride mountain bikes and rock climb a little bit and do some backpacking, climb some mountains. And sometimes, especially in Alaska, getting out into the wilderness involves a certain amount of danger. Um, you could take a neighborhood grizzly, or the weather can cause all kinds of problems. And so whenever I'm going out into the wilderness, I carry some emergency gear with me. I carry bear spray. Uh, occasionally, I even carry a, a, a gun for bear defense. I carry a first aid kit. I carry some emergency shelter, extra food and clothing. Um, and I don't let my quest for adventure overrule my exercise of caution. And so, so far, I've had a lot of fun adventures, and I've never gotten myself into a really serious situation. And if you carry some good emergency gear and you exercise appropriate caution, you can handle most of the incidents that, that might happen to you. But when you go out into the mountains, there's always the chance that something will happen that you won't be able to handle on your own, even if you are well prepared. And you might look at the situation and use whatever first aid emergency supplies you have and come to the point where you know that you are not going to get out of this without some help. Now, if you're close to a town, you might be in cell range, but you know, a lot of the best adventure stuff is outside of cell phone range. And so if you're out in the wilderness, no cell service, no hope of getting out by yourself, you're in a fairly desperate situation. And in a situation like that, you need this thing. This is called a Delorum inReach. And it's an emergency communication device, and it works anywhere in the world using satellite communication. Um, it has several features, but the key one is that right on the front of it, there is a button that says SOS. And that SOS button, uh, when you find uh, that you are really in trouble and you need someone to come and rescue you, you just hit that button and the device sends a signal to emergency responders letting them know that you need help and sends them your GPS coordinates uh, so that they can find you. A couple of years ago, there were three climbers that were dropped off on Knick Glacier. They were going to try to climb uh, to the summit, 13,000 feet of Mount Marcus Baker. It's the tallest mountain in the Chugach Range. Um, and uh, during the climb, the weather turned really nasty on them. High winds destroyed their tent and buried what was left of the tent under a snowdrift uh, 10 feet high. And they ended up stranded in a snow cave at about 8,500 feet on the mountain. And they were scheduled to be picked up at a certain location, but the weather was so bad that they couldn't get there. And they couldn't do anything, in fact, except huddle in their snow cave and try to avoid hypothermia as they slowly ran out of food and water. They were in trouble, and there was no way that they were going to get themselves off that glacier. But they had a device, <laughs> and so they pushed the button, and they signaled their need for help. 
And the Alaska National Guard sent out a rescue team in a Pavehawk helicopter and landed up on the side of the glacier and rescued them. So, what about you? I know I recognize some faces here of people that might have been in some uh, fairly hairy situations here and there. Have you ever been in a desperate situation where you had to be rescued? Have you ever been in a place that you could never escape from on your own? The biblical teaching about life and the state of affairs that mankind finds ourselves in is this. We are fallen, sinful people. And every one of us is sinful. And not just a little bit sinful, but deep down selfish rebellion sinful. And God is holy and just. And his holiness and his justice means that he cannot simply tolerate and ignore sin. Sin must be dealt with justly. The Bible teaches that a day of judgment is coming and all sin must be punished. About 3,400 years ago, God met Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. And he revealed to him his law, his holy standard for how people were to live and worship him. The Ten Commandments were part of that, but there was a lot more besides the Ten Commandments, dozens of commandments. And Jesus was once asked his opinion on the most important part of God's law. And, uh, and Jesus' response was not just to say, okay, I think this part is most important. He actually gave a summary, two sentences that he said summarized the entire law, exactly what God requires of us. Here's what he said. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So that is what God requires from us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the thing. I know that I fail to meet that standard. How do I know that I don't measure up to God's requirement? Well, there's two things, two ways that I can tell that. First of all, I can just take an objective look at my own self and, uh, and, 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 and give an assessment of my own life according to this standard. Do I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind? Do I have this kind of complete love that takes up my whole being? Well, maybe I've had some moments where I've really felt that way and really uh, been uh, feeling connected to God, but do I live that way on a consistent basis? And do I love other people as strongly as I love myself? Or am I prone to selfishness? An honest look at myself reveals that I often fall far short. The second way that I know that I don't measure up to God's standard 
is because the Bible tells me that no one measures up to God's standard. Romans chapter 3 is where we're going to be spending uh, most of our time uh, tonight. So if you want to open your Bible to Romans chapter 3, or it'll all be up on the screen here too when we talk about it. Um, So let's take a look at Romans chapter 3. In the first couple of chapters of Romans, uh, chapters 1 and 2, Paul has been explaining about how people who follow false religions and worship idols and don't know God and his standards fall short of God's standards. Well, that's no surprise, right? People who are following false religions don't have, don't have the Bible, never read it. They, they don't know what God's standards are. They don't measure up to God's standards. Um, but then in verse 9 of chapter 3, he directly addresses the situation of religious people like himself. That is, people who read their Bibles, attend worship services, and try hard to follow God's ways. And here's what he says. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Well, surely the answer is yes, right? Of course there's an advantage uh, uh, if we read the Bible and we study God's will and, and, and we sing songs and too and worship the real God instead of some false religion. Um, those guys don't measure up, right? But surely we, uh, good religious people who are seeking to follow the rules and, and, and follow the true worship of the true God, we come out okay, right? No. Here's the rest of the verse. It says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike, or in our modern uh, terms, it would be the same as saying, church-going Christians and non-Christians alike, are all under the power of sin. He says, as it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And it goes on for several verses in a very similar theme there, but uh, you get the point. The emphasis here is very strong that every single one of us is a sinner. No one is righteous. Christians, non-Christians, Jews, Gentiles, religious, non-religious, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhist monks, liberal Democrats, conservative Republicans, me, you, all sinful. All of us. And at the end of this long series of quotations from the Bible, Paul says this. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. In other words, what the Bible says, it says to those who read the Bible. God is talking here to the nice religious people who read their Bibles and try to follow them when he says, you people are all unrighteous sinners. Not a single one of you does good. Not even one. He says, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. That is, by doing good deeds, by by trying to love God or trying to love each other, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. 
So why is it that we can't be declared righteous in God's sight by following the law? Is there something wrong with the law? No. The law, which Jesus summarized as God's requirement that we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love each other as ourselves, that's perfect. But there is something wrong with us. We can't do it. And that is a serious thing. But see, this is where a lot of people get off the bus. <laughs> see, they're with us when we talk about uh, uh, the idea that, um, that, that uh, there's such a thing as sin, and most people will agree, oh yeah, people fall short of perfection. Yep, that's true. We even have common sayings like, nobody's perfect, to err is human, we all make mistakes. Um, people understand that, right? And so most people are right there with the Bible when it says no one is without sin and that they themselves are not without sin. They might not agree exactly on the, what the Bible defines as sin, but they, 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 even by their own definitions, most all people will agree, yeah, I've, I've fallen short and I've uh, done some things that were wrong. But where we find disagreement is when we ask the question of how serious a thing is that? How serious is that that you've made some mistakes? And basically there's three different ways that people come down on this issue of how serious is the problem of their sin. First, there are those who dismiss the whole idea of sin and God's judgment. Yeah, yeah, nobody's perfect, uh, but some people, they just don't believe in God at all. Or they might believe, oh yeah, there's a God, but they dismiss the importance of it. And when the Bible offers these people salvation, they don't see the need. They don't believe that there's anything for them to be saved from. So the way these people see things, it's, it's like they're in their backyard and they're grilling, flipping burgers in their backyard, and you come running in and you're like, oh, here's the, the device, quick, push the SOS button so someone can come save you. And they're like, what are you talking about? I have no need to be saved. <laughs> I'm fine. Why would I push an SOS button? I don't need the National Guard to fly it in a helicopter. I'm fine. They do not have a problem that they need to be rescued from. And so people in that category, if they believe in God and in judgment, it's a pretty lenient judgment, <laughs> and they'll have no trouble passing the judgment. Um, you know, uh, their, their philosophy is good people go to heaven, and their standard for goodness is, uh, you know, uh, somewhere around the level where only drug dealers, terrorists, and child molesters don't make it. Everybody else is fine. And it's not something that they really even give much thought to. So that's one way that a lot of people respond when you try to tell them that they're sinners and they need to be saved. The second category of responses to the biblical teaching here, that we're all sinful, includes all the people who recognize their faults and their own need to do something about it. See, they experience guilt for the things they've done wrong. And they desire to do better, to be better people. 
And they turn to a system of morality and personal effort in order to deal with the problem. Most of the time, this also includes some kind of religious practice. If you're talking about people all over the world, uh, you know, they, have, they practice all kinds of different religions. So, so they'll go to the temple or the mosque or in our culture, most people will go to a church and they'll try their best to live good moral lives and stop being selfish and start learning to love God better. And they, they, they try really hard to follow the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. And they try to love the Lord your God with all their heart, mind, and strength and to love their neighbors as themselves. And these people know that they're out in the wilderness and, and that they have a problem, right? They're not like the guy that thinks he's in his backyard. They know they're out there and they know there's a problem. However, the solution to their problem is just to work hard and get themselves out of it. Calling in a rescue chopper is a bit extreme when all they really needed is just to tough it out and fix the problem. You see, their, their practice of religion gives them a topo map, some duct tape, a first aid kit, and a Leatherman. They're good to go. Nothing happening here that they can't handle themselves with a little spiritual guidance from their scriptures and their, their church or something, then they can handle it. And this is where most of the religious people in the world are. They recognize that they have failed to live up to God's standard, and they think that by practicing religion and trying really hard to be a good person, they can deal with it. This category includes many of the people who are in church on Sundays, singing songs to Jesus, and who don't really understand their need for Jesus. In this category are the Christians who think that what they need Jesus for is just to give them a fresh start in life. Jesus forgives our sins, erases all the bad that we've done so that then we can stop sinning and start doing good. And the good that we do from that point on makes us worthy of God and makes us acceptable to him. Their philosophy is good people go to heaven and in order to be good enough, you need to work really hard at it. The standard for goodness is high. Only those who pray, read the scriptures, give to the poor, and try hard to live according to the golden rule get in. So those two approaches to sin, either to dismiss the problem and not worry about it, or to think that we can take care of it ourselves, by following a moral system or a religious system, both fall short of the biblical understanding of the gravity of our sin and the desperateness of our situation. The Bible teaches that our problem is very serious. Every mouth is silenced and the whole world is held accountable to God. A couple of chapters back in Romans, Paul put it like this. He said, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. But you know what? Most of us don't think 
uh, or don't like to think of ourselves as deserving of the wrath of God. Uh, we don't think that we are in that category of the godless and wicked people who suppress the truth, right? Uh, that's talking about evil people like Osama bin Laden maybe or, or, or those Hutu people in Rwanda who killed 800,000 Tutsis in the 94 genocide. Those people, that's who the wrath of God is being uh, revealed against. Not me. I'm a nice guy. I, I, I pay my taxes. I mow my lawn. I, I go to church. I give to the church. My own faults are not that big a deal. Yeah, of course I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? Everybody makes mistakes. But it's not that big of a problem. I can fix this. I just need the Bible to show me how. But the Bible doesn't tell us how we can fix this. Actually, the Bible tells us that we cannot fix it. The Bible tells us that good people do not go to heaven because there are no good people. So look at those verses from Romans 3 again. It says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Therefore... No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. What the Bible is saying here is that you are stuck in a snow cave, 8,500 feet up on Knick Glacier, in a blizzard, running out of food and water as you try to fight off hypothermia. There is no way you are going to get yourself out of this situation. You are in a desperate situation. You need to push the button, the SOS. You need to call in someone else to come and save you, to rescue you. And that's the third way of looking at our sin problem, the biblical way of seeing it. Realizing that we are sinners and that there is nothing we can do to fix it. And so we need to turn to God to save us. And that's exactly what God has done for us. So let's look at those next few verses here in Romans chapter 3. It says, But now, apart from the law, that means completely apart from and unrelated to our own efforts to do good and meet the standards, apart from the law, uh, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. All who believe. Not to all the good people who do a good enough job of following the rules, but to all who believe. He says, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace. We are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. 
What this means is that God knew that we were in trouble. He knew that we needed to be rescued. And he knew that a system of good people go to heaven by following the rules would not work. And so, he made a way to pay the price for our sin himself. So that we could be saved from judgment completely apart from our own efforts to keep the rules. And he did that through the death of Jesus on the cross. Or as it says here, by presenting him as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. See, when Jesus died for our sins, it was a complete and total payment. There is nothing left for us to pay. That's why it says that we receive it freely by grace. Grace means getting something that we do not deserve. God does not give us what we deserve. God does not give us what we deserve. He gives us grace, and it's free. And by that free gift of grace, we are declared righteous in God's sight. We are rescued from the punishment that our sins deserve. But here's the thing, though. Many of us good religious people have a hard time pushing that SOS button and giving up completely on working it all out ourselves. Because to push that button is to admit that not only have we failed to be good enough, but also that we know that we will never succeed at being good enough. To call on Jesus to save us is to admit our spiritual and moral weakness. And so many times we just keep on trying to stop sinning, keep on trying to do good, and to be worthy. A couple of chapters further on in Romans, Paul describes his own experience of trying to live up to God's law like this. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, making me a prisoner of the law of sin. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? That is the cry of a man who has tried his very hardest to be good and just can't do it. That is a man who has assessed his situation, realized that there is no way he's getting out of it on his own, and he's ready to press the SOS button and call in the National Guard to rescue him. Who will rescue me? He answers it in the next verse. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
we are not left in frustration trying to follow the rules and save ourselves, failing, vowing to try harder next time, failing again. We have been rescued from our slavery to rule following by Jesus' sacrifice for us. Here's the next couple of verses uh, in Romans, uh, start of chapter 8 here. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. What could not be accomplished by the law, that is by following the rules, by being a good person, by trying to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and loving your neighbor, what that law could never accomplish, and why couldn't it accomplish it? Because there was, was there, a weak, there was a weak link in the system. The weak link in the system was us and our inability to follow it, our sinfulness. And so we could never remove the condemnation due to us for our sins. But God did it. He sent his own son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice, to pay the price for our sins. So, what is left for us to do in order to be saved from the consequences of our sins? push the SOS button. That's it. Stop trying to save yourself and call on Jesus to save you. Give up on making yourself worthy of God's love. Realize the depth of your problem and your inability to solve it and call on the grace of God. Now, as a response to this message from God's Word, uh, we're going to do something together now. We're going to read a prayer of confession together and call on God to forgive our sins. Now, there are some churches that do this every week as part of their, uh, their liturgy. But for churches like ours, it's fairly unusual for us to do something like this. Um, and it might be a little bit weird to you, but basically this is pretty similar to reciting the Lord's Prayer except that we're really going to focus on the section of the Lord's Prayer where it says, forgive us our trespasses. And the purpose of a corporate confession like this is that we are all together publicly admitting our guilt to God and to one another. And this kind of practice does not, of course, replace a personal time of confessing specific sins to God, but it can be part of a healthy spiritual life. For most of us, this confession is not our initial experience of forgiveness and salvation, but rather a part of the regular Christian practice of remembering what God has done for us and of keeping short accounts with God. So in a moment, we're going to read this uh, together from the screen. But when we read it, I want you to really know what you're saying when it comes time to say it together. So I'm going to read it first, and then we'll all Say it together. So here's what we're going to read. Most holy and merciful Father, 
we confess to you and to one another that we have sinned against you by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We have not fully loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not always had in us the mind of Christ. You alone know how often we have grieved you by wasting your gifts, by wandering from your ways. Forgive us, we pray, most merciful Father, and free us from our sin. Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. So let's all stand together. And uh, if you feel like this prayer is a reflection of your heart today, then let's read it together. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another that we have sinned against you by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We have not fully loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not always had in us the mind of Christ. You alone know how often we have grieved you by wasting your gifts, by wandering from your ways. Forgive us, we pray you, most merciful Father, and free us from our sin. Renew in us the grace and strength of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. You can sit back down. I hope that this prayer does reflect your heart today and that you, if you have not yet given up on being good enough and on saving yourself and you need to turn to Christ for salvation, do so tonight. Do so tonight. You can do that on your own or you can talk to somebody. Um, Mike or I would be happy to talk to you. Lots of other people here could talk to you about it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and the rest of us who um, have been Christians for a while, I hope that uh, we will not forget on what our salvation is based. Thank you. <clears throat>